Blog Talk Radio. Everybody, October of 2014, 
we will be convening a conference. Uh, more details about that to come. And we'll be conducting web discussions every month. First one will be Sunday, November 24th, 2013. So next month, November 24th, that's Sunday. More details about that to come as well. And it will be a web chat. So you'll get a chance to see us, you know, talk about different issues that pertain to the black secular community. And, again, this is a collaboration of the Black Skeptics Group, which has groups in Los Angeles and Chicago. It's also um, Houston area black nonbelievers, which is Donald Wright. The Black Skeptics Group is headed by Sakibu Hutchinson, Dr. Hutchinson, and also black freethinkers. So yours truly and all of the black freethinkers families and as well as members of our organizations and you know, some exciting conversations will come from this, and we're really excited about this venture. But again, mark it on your calendars. October of 2014, we will be um, having a conference, so more details to come. I can tell you that this conference will take place in Los Angeles, California, so save up your money and come on out, sunny California. It should be a really, really good time. Um, as a matter of fact, um, on the last day of the conference is going to be a three-day conference. On Sunday, we're going to um, let out a little early. So for those that want to visit Universal Studios and, you know, Knott's Berry Farm, all of that is a train ride away. We want to take some time out so that you can get out and enjoy yourself a little bit. But we're really, really excited about that. wanted to also acknowledge Doc Martin at Compass 120 Apparel, which is compass120.com, um, he designed um, our banners and things for us. So he did that, and he did a wonderful job. And you can also get your Freethinker gear from Doc as well, you know, really, really nice guy. And um, the website and all of that is coming. wanted to give a shout-out to Jermaine and Christine. They're doing a phenomenal job, you know, helping us roll this out. And we're just asking you guys to participate next Friday, October 20th. Is that a Friday? October 25th. Hold on before I lie to you. Yeah, I'm correct. It's next Friday. October 25th, we will be conducting a web chat. So um, look out for that information. So people of color beyond faith will be conducting a web chat, you know, asking you what you want to talk about, um, what are some of the issues that are pressing to you, and we just want your input. And so, you know, every week um, we'll be conducting web chats just to kind of get everyone engaged and to give you all some insight as to what's coming up next and what's happening in the community and to let you guys know how much we appreciate you. So, again, this is Kim from Black Freethinkers, and we are here to challenge you to think and live for yourself, not convert you. And again, we are here to challenge you to think and live for yourself, not convert you. And for those that are listening in, I appreciate each and every last one of you. Um, next week on the show, Wednesday we'll have the break beat with MC Brooks. Thursday we'll have on blast with Vita Star that was moved from this week to next week. Friday we'll have M and Evil. I think they're going to finish up their. Halloween series here, and uh, let's see, Sunday. Next Sunday, I am going to do a show. I was actually contemplating 
you know, whether I was going to switch next week's show for this show, but since I said I was going to do Black Pain today, I just went on with the show. But with next week's show, we will be talking about, you know, white privilege, white supremacy in relation to the shutdown, what happened there, and, you know, give you all some historical context as to why you need to pay attention to what's happening and, and what they're what's the perception of what they're trying to set up, you know, as far as the government and, you know, basically, you know, what's happening with this Tea Party and the shutdown of the government and how they're treating President Obama. You know, there is a pattern here. So we're going to put that in its proper context and show you, you know, the history behind that. Because, again, as I've spoken, you know, before on the show, you know, it's patterns. It's patterns. And what they're doing here is, you know, um, um, you know, it's, it's kind of, it's not hard to explain, but it would be a lot easier when I can give you the examples. But trust me when I say this pattern has shown its way, its ugly head before, and it will show its ugly head again. But I want you all to understand what's happening and why they call themselves attempting to chase, you know, President Obama out of town and telling him to come out with his hands up. And I am referring to the Tea Party rally last weekend in which, you know, as far as I'm concerned, they were committing treason and sedition. You know, with some of the things that they did and, you know, this past Friday's show with Alfred and Carl, they spoke about it in depth about what happened there. So, again, you know, check out Friday's show, and we'll get a little bit more in-depth about that next Sunday. So I just kind of wanted to let you guys know what was coming up. But, again, check out People of Color Beyond Faith, and there's so much that's going to come from this project, guys. You just don't know. We're really excited about this. So check that out. We have a Facebook page. You can catch us on Twitter as well as Google+. Plus. We have a YouTube channel. I forgot to mention that. And so um, we'll be doing live feeds to Google. I'm sorry, to Google as well as YouTube. So um, look forward to that. It should be very, very interesting and a lot of fun. And hopefully, you know, we will be able to challenge, you know, your challenge and pique your interest. That's what we're trying to do, and we're trying to bring forth some answers. And, again, if you have any questions, to the people of Color Beyond Faith, we take questions. I mean, we're just excited. And, guys, you'll get a chance to, you know, pose questions to Dr. Hutchinson as well as Donald Wright, myself, and members of our organizations and members of our groups. And, you know, we'll have guest speakers on as well. Just wanted to kind of let you guys know that we're going to tackle a variety of different topics, and we'll have guest speakers. So every month is going to be something different, but we want to hear from you. We definitely want to hear from you. Very, very excited about this. So anyway, moving on. And usually, you know, I'll talk about a couple of news stories, but it's just been so much happening, you know, in the news that, <laughs> let you guys read it for yourself. So today we're talking about black pain, and, you know, I titled it Black Pain, I Am Human, and, you know, wanted to talk about, you know, humanity, you know, stereotypes, misconceptions, racial disparities. You know, I put a few 
questions up. I said, am I not human? Do I not feel pain? Or do I just hide it well? You know, we all cry, each and every last one of us. We all cry. And I'll tell you guys, the premise of this particular show is from a book that I read, you know, back in 2008, 2009, and the title of the book is Black Pain. And it was written by Terry Williams. And this actually was a really good book. Um, it made a really deep impact on me. And want to let you guys know, this is a believer. She's a believer, but this book is not um, steeped in, you know, scriptures and things like that. You know, she goes to the hard truth, and she talks about a variety of different issues, and we're going to talk about some of that today. But um, it's actually a really good book. It helped me to understand um, some of the feelings that I had been experiencing because, again, coming from a religious household, you know, talking about generations of ministers and, you know, being told that there was no such thing as sadness or depression. When I would mention that or bring that up to my mom or, you know, other family members, they would say, well, you're a Christian, aren't you? And, of course, you know, being young and wanting to be a part of, you know, that group and be, to be accepted by my family and friends and associates, you know, the answer was, yes, of course I'm a Christian. And then I would be told that Christians don't get depressed. Christians don't get sad. Christians don't get angry. Why? Because the joy of the Lord is your strength, right? And that's what we would be told. And as I grew up, you know, again, you know, I stopped believing at a young age, but you know, some of that was still there, you know, and especially when it's in your environment and you see it and you hear it every day and everyone around you pretty much professes to be some type of Christian, you know. You know, even if they were going to bedside Baptist, they still got a scripture or two to recite, right? And it really wasn't until I was in my 30s that I started to properly identify my emotions and accept, you know, the different emotions and to understand that even though, you know, because at that time I had gone back to church in my early 30s. Some friends had convinced me that, you know, I was looking at it through a child's eyes and I should go back as an adult and give it a chance. And it was an even worse experience as an adult because I saw things for what they really were, you know, with experience and you know, but it was just, it's, it's interesting, but I had to go back and learn how to identify certain um, emotions and feelings and not repress those feelings. You know, one of the hardest lessons that I had to learn, and, you know, with this particular book right here, Black Pain, you know, I was already, you know, what I considered probably an agnostic at that time. You know, but this book right here just kind of pushed me over the edge, right into atheism, if you will, because, you know, again, when you realize that you've been lied to and that people continue with the lies, and for many years, even before then, I used to call it smoke and mirrors. You would go to church and smoke and mirrors, you know, you would see in the community and smoke and mirrors that I would see in family and friends. And this here, you know, it, it talks about quite a bit of that, about how we hide our pain. 
you know, and we're going to talk a little bit about some of the medical disparities out there because um, it's just interesting. Um, and we'll go on. So our call-in number is 310-982-4273. Again, that's 310-982-4273 if you would like to be a part of this conversation. And one of the first things that I wanted to talk about today is the perception of pain in others. And the reason why I want to bring this up first is because for some people, perception is reality. That's not necessarily the truth, but when you're in a particular situation, your perception of it is very real to you at that time. But, you know, there have been multiple studies out here, and this study here, um, I picked it up from the NIH.gov um, page, and Raina from the RSS feed, you know, um, was instrumental in some of the research for this particular show, and I appreciate that. And, you know, right here is talking about, you know, how sex, race, ethnicity, and age differences based in pain basically, you know, have been reported in different clinical and experimental research studies, right? And this is just interesting. Um, a friend of mine was telling me that when she would basically, you know, go to the doctor and report that she was experiencing pain, especially if she went to the emergency room of the hospital her doctor was affiliated with, that basically what the doctor had written in her chart was that she, you know, was hysterical and suffered anxiety. So when she would go in and complain about feeling pain, that they wouldn't take her serious. And this is something that many women experience, and it's unfortunate because, you know, only recently, and it's still limited, only recently have women's pain been, you know, um, basically studied and given some credence and credibility. But for a long time, we had been told that it was all in our heads. I can attest to that personally. You know, we have Travis on the line with us today. Hey, Travis. How you doing, Kim? It's me and Tana. We just popped on. Say how you doing on this Black Thinker Sunday. Hey, good morning, you guys. Thank you. And um, we're doing fine. Congratulations to both of you guys. Congratulations, Tana, and congratulations, Travis. We have, you know, we've been watching you, and hey, good job, guys. Thank you very much. We've been oh, just doing our, our funny to the moon thing. Uh, Tana's doing the Hollywood thing. Um, I just, uh, what, I just came in second in the Big Sky International Comedy Competition, so that was pretty fun. Exactly. Um, that's what the congratulations was for. I saw that. I'm happy for you. I appreciate that greatly. What you got going on today? Oh, What's your? Uh, I think we're hearing about the, the old ideas about the, the hysteria of women. The uh, you can't trust what they say. You know, um, some of that residue is still left over in many areas. But I, I think we're talking about the medical community, especially, with not believing women. Uh, well, we're talking about, the, you know, the communities. Pain. Yeah, yeah, we're talking about communities of faith, but we're also talking about communities of color and also, you know, the distrust for, you know, the medical field, um, mm -hmm. distrust especially um, with psychology and psychiatry. And, you know, we're going to talk about that specifically. 
specifically a little bit later because a lot of that distrust came back from slavery. And we'll explain how and why. And there is a term, you know, for that. It's called dreptomania. So, you know, we'll go more in depth with that. But, yeah, you know, I'm, I'm, you know, when I was talking about my personal experiences, it's coming from, you know, a more spiritual aspect because that's what I grew up in. And that was the justification that my, you know, family and friends, you know, gave me for, you know, to discount whatever feelings that I may have had at the time. Right. So, yeah. Yeah, so, you know, it's it's interesting. You know, um, basically, you know, the thing is, is that there are a lot of disparities um, out there in, you know, not only the medical field, but, you know, when I'm talking about black pain, I'm not only talking about, you know, our feelings and emotions, you know, it goes even beyond that. You know, you've seen where, you know, in some cases when black children are missing, you know, and may have been kidnapped, they may have been sold off into prostitution or what have you. In many cases when these black parents go to the police, and sometimes in most cases they're deemed as runaway. And, you know, the reports aren't necessarily taken serious because, um, you know, again, you know, more disparities. Um, you know, again, so we talked about black. Are you saying that are you saying that black people in general uh, are not considered precious, right? If exactly. you need some help, if you say, "Hey, I need some help," people go, "Well, what you what you been doing?" You know what I mean? You you, you, uh, you know you must have brought it on yourself. Also, also trying to assess the system is always trying to guess on the golden children. And so in school, it's the athlete, it's the pretty kids, it's the alumnus kids, it's the, it's the families with the most money, it's the kids that have nice cars in school. They get treated better by teachers. Like the, like, you know, all the studies are in. You know, when, when the kid is dressed well, smells good, has all his pens and papers, the teachers enjoy those kids more. They give them more attention. And so I think, uh, you know, and they're always, by the way, was always picked wrong. You know, they always try to deal with and pump up, you know, when you're trying to pick certain kids to, like, help out more than others, which is usually the, you know, the upper middle class whites. That's right. Um, it, doesn't, it doesn't go anywhere, you know. It's like it's, we've, we've, I think we've run that experiment now. Like, if you put money and time and education into every child, and you're going to have the brilliant black kid, the brilliant Mexican kid, the brilliant Chinese kid. You're going to have the amazing athlete among all the races for different sports. But unfortunately, we, we guess and we pick certain kids and, and give them the love that, you know, it's not like when you prune grapes. You know, we go through, we take out the little dead ones, pull off the dry ones, cut the little ones, the little runs away. You're, you're guessing that I want these five bunches of grapes to grow big, so I'm going to cut away about six bunches of grapes that are looking old and dry. And we do that with human beings. I think we do that with minority children. We do that with women. We just pluck them off the vine and, and, and drop them in the dirt because we think, let's, let's give the energy to the good white kids that are going to go somewhere. Right. And, and that's what one of the studies showed. One of the studies showed that um, more empathy is given toward people of privilege. 
as opposed to people who are economically and educationally disadvantaged. And the studies do show that, that, you know, people of privilege are given, you know, mental health care, they're given pain meds when they come in, you know, complaining of, um, pains and aches or what have you. So, yes, you know, all of that is part of the show today, and you're absolutely correct, and there are disparities there. And, you know, in you know, I even have a study here talking about Obamacare, you know, in well, the Affordable Care Act, and, you know, the lack of empathy then, you know. Um, basically, hey, Kim, you know, hey, Kim. Yeah. I, I remember huh? being, hey, Kim, you need to start the chat room. Oh, well, see, I wasn't going to open a chat room today, but I'll go ahead and open Why? it up for you. Uh, <laughs> Why would you not open the chat room? Don't get me started. <laughs> well, there you go. Okay, I just opened the chat room up for you guys. But, um, yeah, you know, with this particular article well, here, remember, you know. Uh-huh. I remember in school, in high school, um, that there was, like, a career day where seniors, and all these different people came to talk at our school, trade schools, the military, different state colleges, higher, uh, more expensive out-of-state colleges, et cetera. And we were given slips of paper for room numbers by our counselors to, because you, you can't go see them all. You know, you only have to go like after lunch. You have an store of those these career centers that they set up at the school. And so it's chosen, like certain kids are given the slips of paper, they're, they're, they're supposed to go talk to the military, and they go talk to the trade schools, and they go talk to uh, the dental hygienists and the bricklayer people. And then other kids had, like, these great bags from, like, you know, the state college that was the nicest one, Harvard, Yale, had all these pamphlets and, and, and cool, like, and I, and I remember thinking, like, who's making the decision of who gets to talk to who and who gets to be in the military? I mean, they're choosing it for us right there. Like, I didn't have a choice to go see all the career people that were there that day. They told me to go see the Marine. Right. Right. Because exactly. I'm poor and I'm brown and my parents didn't go to that school and on and on and on. So that's just a personal eyeball story that I remember, like, Oh, ain't this a bitch? Like, yeah, exactly. just walking around with big ass pamphlets, glossy, glossy pamphlets from kick ass schools, and all, all my shit has swords and guns on it. And you got a, a, a mini <laughs> screwdriver hammer set. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, that's, that's real. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Um, I remember. Um, I remember. Um, in school, you know, this one particular um, class that I had, somebody logged in as me, um, this one particular class that I had, um, the teacher divided, now, mind you, um, this particular class was um, an honors class, and the teacher still divided the class into three. So the advanced students, the average students, and the ones that needed a little help. Now, if you're in an honors class, you know, it was just the whole, it was just, you know, the hierarchy and how all of that is set up. But, um, you know, the whole thing is, is quite interesting, you know, how they predetermined, you know, what child, you know, 
belongs where. And it happens, you know, quite often. And I've seen in situations children that were basically deemed as special needs or special ed children, and some of those kids were absolutely brilliant. They were just bored. And that goes back to, you know, the economics, I mean, the educational system in this country and how the methodologies that we have regarding, you know, teaching. And, you know, it needs to be revamped and revisited. It definitely needs to be revamped and revisited. We have rain on the line with us. And, you know, um, you know it, all of this, you know, it plays into it. I mean, there's been study after study, and someone posted um, a, a quote from Bill Gates um, the other day, um, GE did, gender equality, and basically he was saying that as long as there are, you know, disparities or, you know, um, in the, um, inequalities in the inner city, there is always work to do because, you know, there are people under the misconception that once they get, you know, um, set the bar or the standards of excellence high and they're achieved in, you know, these suburbs and these, you know, middle, upper, you know, class, white neighborhoods, then, you know, all has been achieved. No, the inner city as well, these urban areas, there's a lot of genius in communities of color. And unfortunately, in most cases, it's stolen and exploited. And wasted. And never exactly. uh, uh, given a, a, a chance to flourish. Um, yeah. You know, uh, you know how, you know, uh, genius comes out in all kinds of different ways, right? Mm-hmm. Genius uh, uh, in a um, mute your phone if you're when you're getting out of the car. Um, okay. Um, uh, genius, in many cases. You don't know that it's genius because it sometimes will just look like it's bored around situations where there's nothing, you know, uh, uh, external to fill its mind with. So it, it appears bored. It appears irritable. Uh, ain't nothing wrong with you, boy. He, uh, yes, there is. <laughs> he needs some books. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Or, or the other excuse, there, or basically accusation is, oh, they just want attention. That's something that, you know, I heard not only just, you know, with the board or whatever, right. but, you know, they want but, attention. But you gotta, Go ahead. But you got to flip it. you got to flip it easy and say they don't want attention. They want something to give their attention to. They want exactly. something extra to learn. They want, to, they want something that's going to expand their mind, okay? They, 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 they don't want to sit around uh, with Mama just watching Maury Povich. You know what I mean? They want they want to be on on the Discovery Channel. You know, uh, they want to be on the Nature Channel. They want to be on the Science Channel. They want to be on the Learning Channel. That's right. You know, that's right. Twerking that's right. twerking ain't enough for them. Okay. <laughs> they want to they want they, they, they want to tweak their mind over and over and over again. <laughs> exactly. This that. is where the opportunities come in. You know, the educational and the economic opportunities. And, you know, it's it's disparities, but it also goes back to, you know, um, I remember posting this article a while ago, but I wanted to revisit it today, and it was talking about why white people don't feel black people's pain. And this particular article in relation to the Zimmerman trial, 
and talking about, you know, the lack of empathy and how the lack of empathy can uh, produce national tragedy. And, it, you know, basically it also drives quieter, more routine forms of discrimination. And, you know, it, some of these studies show that not only white people feel a lack of empathy for black pain, but black people too. So, again, you know. It's yeah, that's, that, that's a good point. There's a lot of good points there, Kim. Uh, one, about the lack of empathy. No one, I think a big part of the lack of empathy is, no one has ever explained to them that their, 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 their empathy needs to be here. Like, first of all, right. they don't though they don't look as black children like children. They're uh, they're just mini monsters. Okay, to right. them. Right. And right. so therefore, there, there's a, there's a beginning of some some type of lack of empathy. And then, um, well, here I explain it like this in, in, in a really simple joke. Uh, the joke is titled, What I Learned from the Zimmerman Trial. If you're black, you can't dress for the weather. you got to dress for the racism in the area. And the only <laughs> safe outfit is MC Hammer Pants and the Bill Cosby sweater. That way, you ain't a suspect. Your ass is Sinbad. <laughs> like that. <laughs> well, that's about right. That's about right, and you know it's it's unfortunate and, because and the weather Tim, and El Kim and the weather in some places around the country, uh, it's it, it's uh, it's always you know stay in at night in some places. You know it's yeah. um it's uh but in other places you can like for instance Seattle, if you just um put on your little um your, your rain slick and have an umbrella you're probably going to be left alone because having an umbrella, you would appear like a tourist. Right. <laughs> right, exactly. Exactly. And, exactly. Yeah, there are brothers around here who we walk around umbrellas so people don't bother them. Nah, we're going to mess with him. He messes with tourism. He ain't really from here. Because police mess with the people who are from there. Right. You know what I mean? They don't mess with tourists because tourists bring in money to whatever city it is. So they don't exactly. mess with tourists. Because the word would get out, uh, you don't want to be over here. Uh, they even mess with the tourists. <laughs> exactly, exactly, exactly. You know. well, um, huh? well, what about that, uh, talking about the lack of empathy? Now, I think we're just going to have a lot of lack of empathiness, I think, because empathy is directly connected to me, you know, to, to intelligence, the frontal lobe, and the amount of those sort of brain guts that you have, the more empathy you have. You know, we know that when people get brain damaged or when we run tests on psychopaths, there are certain parts of the brain um, sometimes that, that are damaged, that are shriveled up, that get enough blood. And so he literally does not have the ability because empathy is a thought process that happens in the brain. You, you're, you're writing a scenario. You're saying wow, uh, seven hours have gone by, this guy hasn't eaten, he's only making $2 an hour, and he's, like, been chopping and stacking wood this whole time, breaking his back. Now, you know, you should be able to go, what is it like not to eat? 
so your brain can start to run that. What's it like to lift heavy objects for hours and hours in a row? What is it like to know that you're not getting compensated for your labor? On and on. You should be able to formulate that in the same way I threw a dart. What do you think is going to happen? It's going to stick in the wall. You're right. That same uh-huh. And yet there isn't an ability for, to say, like, would you want to that work that kind of honey? They're just a bubble lift. They don't. They can't. It's not. Sometimes I think the ability to empathize, first of all, has to be there. It has to. The ability has to be available. If if your inner ears are all jacked up, your balance is effed up. So balance isn't magic. If if your if certain parts of your ears are are jacked up, you you can't walk. You're nauseous. You, you can't stand up straight. It's like because a certain part of your brain is F. And empathy, we, we found out, does come from a certain part of the brain. And I'm starting to think when it comes to certain people, cultures, like what's wrong with everyone? Can't you imagine that right. this that what starvation is like? I mean, I mean, when you look at the pictures of the of the welts and the keloid scars on the backs of the slaves just a couple hundred years ago, isn't there ability in the modern black person to say, wow, never again, whoa, that must have been some getting your feet cut off and getting hunted down in the woods and Harriet Tubman and all that shit. It would seem like there would be some type of immunity to the Jay-Zs, to the, like, overt... I'm black and proud. My shit is making making young black kids buy stupid shit they can't afford, and creating no movement among them, but but to pull their jeans down. It, it seems like there isn't a a connection, a serious deep connection to the trauma and the evils and the wickedness of slavery. To look, you look at Oprah's magazine. It's mansions and flowers. Are, are we already ready for that? Out of the richest black woman in the country? So I, that's why I, I wonder. Maybe she just doesn't have the intelligence. Even if she plays characters, even if she was in The Color Purple, maybe Oprah just can't connect. She can, she can build a school or two or give away some books, but only if I stay fucking rich as fuck. And we know that about Oprah. She ain't, she ain't going down. Come on. I wish, I wish I could say that about her. I wish I could say, you know, Oprah's so fuck charity up that she might go poor. This bitch is so nuts. She's so in love with her people and, and so wants to get rid of bullshit in the world that this bitch might go bankrupt. But we know that will never, ever even come close to happening. But, no, but let's be fair. You know, Oprah, um, Bill Gates, Warren Buffett, all of them, you know, basically a great portion of their wealth will be given away when they pass away. But Oprah does a lot for different communities, and especially communities of color. It's just not advertised as much. But we also have to remember, you know, while she may want to do more in some areas, she may not be able to. You know, I'm sure that there are a lot of people that want to do quite a few different things, but you know, whatever the circumstances may be, you know, they would not allow them to because with some of these billionaires, they can easily pull, you know, a lot of these communities, you know, out of um, 
you know, depression and oppression, if you will. But, you know, the question is what's holding hey, uh, them. And I don't believe it's not because they don't want to. I believe in some cases they're just not able to. Um, and, again, you know, even in this community here, you know, what we're trying to do regarding social justice in the atheist community, we have a lot of genius in this community, and there are a lot of us that want to actually get out and afford a change. However, we need help. It doesn't matter if we have all of these ideas and we know how to implement it. You know, not one or two people can go out and do it on their own. You know, we need other people. I, I just, to I'm, I'm so, uh, I'm so sorry to change the subject. Just a quick, if little uh, diversion. I'm here in Los Angeles. And um, I just drove by and waved and nodded to Lamar Odin, who's walking in an alley back here behind this, like, street fair. And, I, and I'm, I'm kind of lost trying to get to the freeway. So I came back to his back alley to, because the traffic's all detoured and effed up. And there's Lamar Odin with another dude uh, yeah. walking out by himself. So, and it's obviously they're taking that route to not be out in the where everyone's out. You know, Is it like around. a rough neighborhood or something? No, no, it's Ventura, oh. down Ventura Boulevard here in Sherman Oaks. You see, he's right there. He's in a big, uh, like a blue velour uh, sweatsuit. Okay. With Lamar. Oh, that's, that's, I mean, but speaking right. of Lamar, that's another person that's in pain. I mean, you know, we can address, you know, black male pain and, you know, how in some cases, you know, it can take on three different, I mean, sometimes that pain is, you know, lashed out in violence. Um, some 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 people deal with that pain through sex. Some people deal with it through drugs. Um, you know, and I wish you know what, young Kim, man Kim, you're really right. That. You're really right, Kim. Kim, Lamar Odom would rather be on crack than hang out with the Kardashians. Come on. Okay. That's the truth. I, I don't know what, well, whatever. <laughs> I, I don't, we don't know what the, what the situation is, but... The point is, uh, I think that I think it's very, it's too simplistic to try to boil down empathy to intelligence. It's not a matter of intelligence. It's, it's far more complicated than that. And obviously, human empathy? beings in general don't have an empathy problem yeah. because empathy is empathy is necessary for social cohesion, and we're social animals, so we wouldn't have civilization without some form of empathy. But there does seem to be a problem of white supremacy in, in our culture and, and sort of the hierarchies that it creates. And it does impact the way that we, um, we view threats and we see other people as, um, you know, as, as beneath us or as something to be feared. So, I mean, I think you have to keep that in mind. Um, but, um, you know, we should get back to the subject. So um, the, the blackmail um, pain, um, I was, you know, we talked about it before, Kim, you know, how, you know, things like um, the incarceration rates and recidivism and all that type of stuff are oftentimes related not to um, violent crime, but to just the absence of social and mental health services in communities of color. Exactly. And who, exactly. Looking, and who the people, police are looking for, right? Hmm? That's who the police, you know, the police cast their net around the well, black yes. community. Well, yes. So that's why you you get caught too. again because they're looking for you. No, no, absolutely they do that, um, Travis. But I think I think the point that I'm trying to make is a is a point that says that, um, for example, like a lot of juvenile delinquents that are in the system, they don't really get the services that they need. 
you know, for you know, for um, for dealing with depression, for dealing with anxiety issues, for dealing with post-traumatic stress, you know, for all of those types of things, um, because there is there is a general perception within and without, you know, outside of the black community that says the black people can't be depressed. And um, I was, and we were reading another study, Kim and I, about how. Um, you know, when blacks are diagnosed with mental illnesses, they are they are typically overdiagnosed as schizophrenic. Um, exactly. You know, rather than rather than some of the other things. And, and when you think about it, um, probably some of that is is due to some um, to some very real um, social anxiety, and 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 perhaps even paranoia um, to a certain degree about about what it is to be a black person in a community of color and also have access to these things. And perhaps some of these people are not articulating these things and the combination of mental illness and the paranoia, you know, manifests itself in, in some people, I guess, to look like schizophrenia, but it's not schizophrenia. Exactly. And, I mean, the best example of that was um, – you know, that was in the news recently, was the young woman who drove, you know, to the Capitol, as well as the young man that shot up the naval yard. They were both described as, you know, schizophrenic. And, you know, just kind of, you know, add on to what we were just talking about. In one study here, it says black children were about 68% more likely than white children to spend longer than six hours in the emergency room. Right. That's significant. No, and that's true. That's true. And what I was going to say about those two people and, and that you were just talking about, they may, they probably very likely were schizophrenic given what people have, you know, said about them, what their reports were. Right. But right. the thing about it is, is that even when you're diagnosed, you know, sometimes you don't get the real, the real help or the real benefits that you need. And, and those are for, you know, multiple reasons, some of them, some of which have to do with stigma around mental mm-hmm. health care, you know, in, in society in general, but in the black population in particular. And then there's, you know, there's obviously the history of, you know, cultural mistrust that a lot of black people have with medical and, um, you know, social, you know, um, you know, social uh, work or mental health organizations. No, we've not. Right. Well, and there's also like there's no well. there's no dis to me there's almost there's no distrust or paranoia from black people. It isn't just completely grounded. I mean, to be afraid of the medical community, yeah, they used to run syphilis tests and used to give black soldiers like different pills to see how they react to shit. And like, you know, there's there's almost. At any return, if a black person is like, man, I don't know about going to that store. Man, I don't know about going to that hospital. Man, I don't know about joining this club. At every turn, they're right. You know, <laughs> like there's, there's not, there's almost no black right, conspiracy. There's certainly, there's certainly precedent for black people to be mistrustful of these organizations. Right. So where it's safe, we got to be louder about where it's safe. Right? We got to be louder about where it's safe. Exactly. I mean, because, I mean, me personally, I ain't never took, taken a flu shot because I just thought to myself, what if they got a box that says, you know, big ends on it? And then, then I, I didn't give me that shot. I, I just never went. My nose is runny right now, though. <laughs> I mean, it, and, it, and it's not necessary, necessary for everyone to have a flu shot. I mean, it just depends. I mean, it, I mean, certain things, I mean, you just have to, you, you just have to use some common sense. You know, if you work in healthcare, what about the rumor you need, you need your shots. They gave <laughs> eight shots to people. 
over in Africa. Eight shots. You know what I mean? Gave a bunch of people, you know, they gave people, uh, it was supposed to be something, but it really had AIDS in it too. I mean, somebody said that. That may or may not be true, and it probably ain't true. But yeah. I hope it ain't true. But if it's possible, you do have to watch out. But the, the places <laughs> where it's safe have to be louder, and the people who know that it's, that it's safe to, no, as far as like mental health, well, it's also, I to go, uh, it's uh, you know when you were saying about the mental health part, um, look, why wouldn't black people be depressed? And if you're black and you ain't depressed, you're a superhero, okay? Yeah. You're a superhero. Seriously. Well, and also what back, I, um, that, what you I know, say to that, go ahead. That back to like empathy and understanding, I think that's why, you know, when, when someone says, you know, they have empathy without experience, you know, you, you really can't. You know, it's not, we all want to say certain things about ourselves, but, you know, to have empathy for somebody working on Wall Street. You know, I'm lying if I say that I have empathy for that person. I have, I have actually no idea what their life is like. And so when people say, I have empathy for a gardener that has to work all day and has three kids, it's just talk. You truly can't have empathy unless you have a much more uh, deeper knowledge of each other's lives. And, like, you know, there's a lot of white people that are like, they've never touched black hair. You know, they don't know anything about the lifestyle, the culture. Um, it's just, oh, I, I understand that being poor must suck. Uh, living in the ghetto, being in a gang, obviously that's bad. And it's much deeper than that. It's like, that's why I think I keep thinking that, that, that empathy just isn't possible for certain people. They just don't have the ability to understand, you know, um, it's like the maid knows everything about the people she works for, their dirty underwear, who's cheating on who, who's hiding money in their socks. The maid knows everything to a T. And yet the people she worked for don't even know where she lives or, you know, her full name or if she has children or not. And, and, and I think that's, that means something. To, um, we all want to claim ourselves to be, like, not racist and empathetic, but I think some of these titles aren't, aren't titles you can give yourself that you have to sort of wait until people acknowledge you as, you know, like you're empathetic, you're not racist. You know, I always say I'm not racist, but I don't know. I really have to ask other ethnicities. Right. So, um, you know, back to the depression thing, if I recognize that in this society I'm not considered precious as well as the other people, as some of the other people, then – I don't see why that wouldn't immediately cause some type of depression. I mean, immediately. No, or some, or or some, or some or or... anxiety or something. But, I mean, and, and certainly, you know, different people are, are affected in different ways. And, I mean, there are, some, there are some, some, some things that people can do or people can be exposed to or learn that can, you know, at least protect, give them some protection from some of the negative feelings that might arise encountering, you know, prejudice right. or what have you. And part of exactly. it is, is, is learning about who, you know, who you are as, you know, and, and what your culture is about. People who have strong ethnic identity tend not to be as, or, or tend to report not being as affected by, you know, prejudice or, you know, racial, um, you know, situations cropping up as people who are not. 
So if you if you do learn something about yourself, you you might you might feel better about it. And I I can actually tell you I I I've seen this in my own life a little bit. I'm I have friends who um, are are black and um, they've never really had a strong ide- identity or a strong affiliation. And when they encounter certain things, they're they're kind of their minds are blown. Like they don't know. It's, it's like their whole world has disintegrated because they have this idea in their, in their minds that everything is fair and everything is, is fine. Um, you know, when I encounter those situations, I don't break down. I just, I just understand them as a part of um, the circumstances in which I live. You know, there are multiple systems of inequality, and I'd like to encounter, you know, several of them, you know, in my life and, and the intersections of several of them in my life because of who I am, you know. Exactly, exactly. And, you know, that plays a big part because, again, we're not a monolith. And, you know, we, you know, keep that in mind. But, you know, I actually wanted to take it all the way back, you know, to, you know, the term that I used earlier when I was talking about, you know, slavery, you know, dryptomania. And basically what that means is, you know, the blacks that were running away from slavery, they felt as though you know, the black people that were running away and trying to get away, they felt that that was a disease. They felt that it was a mental illness. That's basically what that means. And, you know, what what I don't understand is, you know, why would it be considered a mental illness because someone doesn't want to be your chattel? You know, and this is where some of the distrust and some of the negative attitudes came toward, you know, psychology and psychiatry. And that's why I say we have to go back and, you know, trace this all the way back to kind of get a better understanding and to put it in its proper context. Because, you know, why would someone wanting their freedom, why would that be considered a mental illness? Because because blackness is pathological in terms right. of white supremacy. And, I mean, mm-hmm. and, and even going back before uh, Jacobania, you had people who were calling negritude, yes. you know, an illness. So it's... It's just just the skin color and being, you know, Negro was the problem, you know. Right. But there were, I mean, there were all sorts of, you know, names that they gave to, um, to conditions that they, to, you know, to I guess the Negro problem or the slave problem, right. um, and right. and there and a lot of the things, um, and, and you know, and we've talked about this, like you know, there there, um, if you read like medical apartheid, for example, you know, they right. there are in some you know, of the older, you know, journals and, and medical books, prescriptions for uh, Negro diseases, um, like whipping. Whipping was supposed to be a cure for some of those exactly. diseases because they, they always figured that black people were malingering and that we didn't feel pain and that, um, we, that, that we were animals. So we couldn't be depressed. Exactly. We were too unintelligent. We were too unintelligent to... Um, to have the burden of depression, that we were just, exactly. you know, we were just endlessly joyful, you know, because we didn't and that's have the intellect to be anything else. Yeah. Right, and that's where the intersection, like we, you know, spoke about yesterday, the intersection of religiosity and white supremacy, that's where it meets, right there. Right. Yep. So it's, it's, it's you know... We have to go back, you know, and figure out, you know, because, again, like we were talking yesterday about how, 
um, we'll take, you know, we took a negative situation like that and we flipped it. We flipped it and, you know, uh, gave it names or euphemisms, you know, and tried to put a positive spin on it so that, you know, it wouldn't necessarily seem as though we were the one with the problem. Or if it was a problem, it was part of the struggle. And, you know, that takes me to, you know, something else, you know, whereas um, when I was talking about the lack of empathy earlier when, you know, there's people out there that feel as though, you know, like people don't get depressed, we don't have to deal with you right. know, a lot of these Kim. issues because we're strong and hard. Go ahead. I think I can knock out that right now. I I, 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 I was serious. I said it earlier, but I, I've been thinking about it, and I was just talking to a brother in the chat in New York, who uh, and I so uh, Tartaya, how about this? When you're black and you look at the world and you notice that the world does not consider you precious, if you're not a little depressed, you must be a superhero. You see what I'm saying? You would have to be a little bit depressed no matter what. If you understand that um, if you don't have uh, blonde hair, blue eyes, and a big bank account, you're not truly precious, it would have to depress you. I mean, not just black. I'm talking about all kinds of different people. All over the world, that's what's shoved in our face over and over again. So how could you not be? If you ain't skinny, you got to be depressed. I mean, that's what they're telling you. Now, can we, what I, you know, people say to me, um, why are you anti, you know, you know, this or anti that? I'm like, I'm not anti. I am an untricker, okay? Um if I was ever tricked by something, whether it be to be depressed about who I'm not, then I gotta let everybody know you, you shouldn't be tricked by that. Right, right. It's just a number of things, and it's, it's you know, about, um, you know, when, when people talk about profit, and they, you know, and that's something I'm against. You know, when people say, "Oh, so you don't think people should make a profit?" No, I mean, it like shocks their mind. Like, no, you, you know, no man has the right to another man's labor. I don't believe that. I mean, why do we try to make business uh, economic reasons something that somebody made and make money off? So it's always about creating a lesser. So you have somebody who's a lesser. So if somebody's not precious, then they can be they can be worked to death. Whether it be slavery times, you know, back in the day, or uh, Kim, did you see the stuff about how there's slavery going on right now? Like yeah. you know, and so. Yeah. I don't understand how uh, every people couldn't be bringing that up every day. I read that article, and the next morning I woke up thinking about it going, which, and I was like, what are you going to do about slavery? You know what I mean? It's just, ah! He says 30 million people in the world, 60,000 in America that are right. in a, a slavery situation right now. And how can any of us who, you know, look for freedom and, 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 and justice and, and rights, how can we not say, wait a minute, I'm not a slave right now, so we ought to all think about how do we undo the worst of the worst horrors? You know what I mean? The worst of the worst horrors. Because a feminist has to look at a slavery situation and say um, the women in in any slavery situation are getting the worst of the worst treatment that you can even imagine as as a human being, male or female, female or male. Oh, yeah, and part of that is um, 
basically we have to change some of our thinking, if you will, because, you know, we have, you know, something that Mario said last week, you know, um, part of that holds true to what we're talking about today. And we have to change quite quite a few things because, you know, um, like I said, I was talking about a little bit earlier about how, you know, we have this feeling that, you know, you know, a tweet went out and it was saying how black people are hard and they don't feel the pain or they don't feel pain the way other people feel pain. And it was in response to an article from Slate. And, you know, the article in Slate was called I Don't Feel Your Pain. But the thing is is that in some cases, you know, not only do white people, you know, in some cases feel as though we're inferior or we're subhuman or animals or what have you, and so we don't feel that pain, There's, there are some blacks that have convinced themselves the same way. We're, we're strong. And, you know, but the struggle. But doesn't that sound, and, and, Kim, they don't mm-hmm. feel that pain, doesn't that sound like what the slave master was telling his wife when his wife exactly. said, hey, uh, I heard that nigga screaming for a really long time. Oh, don't worry about it, honey. They, they don't feel pain the way we feel pain. It's also very hard to get people to, you know, when you have no uh, natural, like, uh, witness to, you know, what these, what each other's lives are like. So if you're like a white person and you don't know what it's like, you've never been through it and blah, 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 you, how do you not think you're superior as a white person? I, to me, change my atoms. Adam for Adam with the regular, multi-generational, upper-middle-class, college-educated white guy, I would be him. I would know if I'm better. I, I, because in my eyes, it's true. In my ears, it's true. When I go to court, I, I don't get as much trouble as the brown people. When I want a house loan, I get my loan easier than brown people. When I go to college, I got accepted easier than brown people. How do I – where does the white person – where are they expected not to superior? They are, you know. And so when they're poor, the I think that that yes, but still, there's a there's a when you're poor and white, you still look around at everybody in power is at least your color. So even when you're poor and white, you're, you you know your daddy still might have a favor for you. So you're still <laughs> superior. You're still a little. It's better, you know, the trailer part, we make fun of the trailer part, but it's not as bad as the ghetto. You know, it's like it's the trailer part has the humor to it, has the rednecky, you know, moonshine angle to it, where the ghetto does the ghetto's pure death. It, it's crack and death. And so there's something about, like, what I'm saying is, like, I feel empathy for white people and their sense of superiority, knowing that. How else can, can they possibly feel in this country? I mean, if you don't feel superior as a white person in this country, you're not paying attention. You know, it, uh, and so it's, it's these leaps of, like, illogic that, that we need to take um, and just say, you know, as, as a white person, fuck this privilege, I, I'm refusing it because I know where it comes from. And as a, and as a brown, black person saying, fuck these labels, because I know where they come from. And, but yet, that, those are hard leaps to make. The black person, like, like uh, you're just saying, you know, oh, we're strong. 
well, the Lord is on our side. You can, you know, we shall overcome. And that's a, that's an identity. That's an identity of a slave. That's the kind, that's the well, kind of see, but one of, of the issues, well, one of the issues with that, especially with you know communities of color in particular, the black community, because we do not necessarily know our heritage and and know necessarily where we came from, and a lot of what we did know was stripped from us, and then the negative, you know, connotations, the negative images that are given to us, constantly tell us we're inferior, we're animals, we're bad. And in all of these things, I mean, um, we just have to go back and, like I said, you know, put it in its proper, you know, perspective. And, I mean, we can look at it, you know, in two different ways. We can look at it from, you know, you know, you know, a so-called white superiority and a black inferiority. We can also look at it from, you know, a class difference as well because, you know, there are studies out there that, you know, show that, you know, the privileged, like we were saying earlier, you know, uh, look down on the non-privileged. And, I mean, there are just so many different ways we can take this subject and we can run with so it. So then but, doesn't the bigotry but, then come from, Kim, what you just said there? The, that means that the bigotry, the white pain bigotry, comes from a pain depression they have of trying to figure out how they're not one of the rich white ones. Right? And so it's yeah, easy to blame the brown people. The re- it, yeah, the reason why I'm, yeah, the reason why I'm, I'm poor is no part, part certainly, but not. Well, all when you ask when you ask when you talk to poor white people why they're poor, generally it's because of the poor brown people. It's the, it's the immigrants. It's the taking of jobs. It's the um, you know they they're in my no, place that, in line I mean, in the world. Of course, of course, but that doesn't mean that that's the only the only reason that they feel that way. There's still there's still things that they don't like about those people. Even if you were to remove those people, they still wouldn't like those people. There's still just a dislike of of yeah, people and, yeah, and a hatred just... of people who are brown and black. It's just that they're 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 convenient scapegoats because they don't like them anyway. Yeah. It's just it's just built in, and, and there is you know I I think that uh, I don't built in that because. It, well, no, no, I'm saying socially and, and um, historically, sure. you know, we, when I, uh, being a brown kid, right, but I'm half Samoan, so my mom's white, so I got that whole white world culture of not sharing and saving your money until you die so your kids will talk to you. Um, and then, uh, <laughs> you know, I mean, no, the idea of the inheritance, which is predominantly a Caucasian idea, it's not, black people ain't trying to, hold on to money while their kids are alive and they're alive here. They, we we kind of don't do that. Like it's, but there's something because about. We don't have anything to hold on to here very much. I mean, that's not a, that's not like <laughs> a, a white think... person's thing. I mean, that's, I mean, that's the thing they do all over the world. I mean, that's, you know, right. So you think it is, you know, all that type of like, you know, the, I, <laughs> but they're um, but being a brown kid. But anyway, I wasn't black and I'm not Latin. I was like half Polynesian, which is completely off the radar as far as um, racial slurs, racial identity in the negative. No one gives a fuck about a half Polynesian or white kid. Like, there's no rips. I, you know, there, there's no N-words for us. So when I was treated like it's obvious, you know, when I grew up in these rural timber towns and, and farming towns and, and logging towns, and all white kids, you know, and there's the side looks. They don't want to sit next to you. You're like, you know, I hear the N-word. 
in, in third, fourth grade. And not, I don't remember what it meant. I don't, I didn't know what it meant. It was just another word of all the words I was learning, but they were directed at me. And so I started to look into black people. I knew that was the word that they would call black people. And so I adopted the identity of the abolitionist because there was no one else to latch onto. You know, so if you're a brown kid in the seventies, um, getting what you feel are sort of, you know, racial uh, cold shoulders from your classmates. Well, I had no one to go to but to Frederick Douglass and E.B. Du Bois, like, because there are no, there were no other representation of, of freedom and freedom fighters among Latin guys, among Asians, among Polynesians. It's like, so black people sometimes, I don't know if they understand, we need you guys. You know, that, we, there's a lot of ethnicities. That, that grab onto the strength and the power of, of the great black civil rights leaders as our own leaders. Because I, no, I don't have a Samoan guy that kicked ass for, for human rights, but, but I, can, I can grab onto Fred. You know, I can, like, I, 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 can, I can use Malcolm X. I can, you know, I, I can read about Medgar Evers. I mean, certainly and, there probably and, were, but they probably, they probably have been lost to history because it wasn't written down. But certainly somebody knows the story somewhere. But, <laughs> you know, but the I'm black sure. struggle, I think, I think the, the black struggle lets, let, lets everyone let their struggle. I think, I think if there was no black struggle, civil rights movement, there would, be, there would never have been a gay movement. I mean, no chance. Right. You had it. One, the gay never come from black. No way. No way would, would, would we have gay marriage and gay rights, but still uh, Jim Crow and separate drinking fountains. No chance. <laughs> no way. It had to come first. For, again, sometimes maybe gay people don't. But I'm saying this, like, maybe that's, that's what's wrong about a lot of this, uh, of this talk is we don't acknowledge black people and what they've done and the movements that they've been able to open up for Latinos, Asians, in, Indian people, Native Americans, women. You know, they didn't ride the buses. They walked to work. They they had their leaders assassinated. So it's, you know, yeah. maybe there's, a, there's something there to condemn about media and to saying, like, there's lack of gratitude for uh, the, the black civil rights leaders who we all know we borrow, at least I do, I have to admit, I borrowed from them as a kid because there were no other people that you could, that you could sort of tattoo in your book, in your notebook, and say, I, li- I listen to this guy, and he's my, he's my race. Since I had nobody, then I, I remember I used to love Frederick Douglass. I, I used to, I, it, when I was in fifth grade, I took a report. I made a clay bust of Frederick Douglass for extra credit. <laughs> Be- because, you know, a lot of us have borrowed these guys, and it should be, I think it should be more known. Very good, very good. And, I mean, and that's the whole thing, and I think, you know, it will be to our benefit, you know. And, I mean, I've spoken about, you know, some of the Spanish conquistadors and, you know, showing, you know, the intersection of Africa and Latin America. And I was going to talk a little bit more about, you know, the black Germans and black Canadians. And so I'll do some research on Samoa. And, you know, Hawaii and was, you know, from that region as well because, I mean, they have a rich history. 
And so, you know, thank you. You know, you're just encouraging me to pick back those pick those projects back up that I kind of put on the back burner so that, um, you know, to encourage, you know, everybody, you know, because that's, that's what we're here for. And, you know, again, some of this causes some of the depression because, I mean, you know, that has to make you feel some kind of way, whereas when you can't find people who look, you know, that you can identify with when you can't find information out about them because, you know, there is information out there, but it seems as though it's locked away or it's hidden away or, you know, you have to take hours and hours to research it. And, you know, for people that don't understand, it takes us hours to research for these shows. You know, uh, we're reading constantly, reading and studying. But, yeah, I'll pick that back up, Tana. And, you know, you know, do a show talking about that, you know, see what I can find. Because I believe that it's important for everyone to be able to go back into their history and to see how, you know, their ancestors, their forefathers and mothers, you know, how they struggled and how they overcame and, you know, what legacy they left behind. And, you yeah. know, and it's good and how- that, you know, we're able to, you know, do the cross-section, and we can inspire one another, you know, the different, you know, cultures, and that's wonderful. Because, I mean, you all love you some Robert Greene Ingersoll, and, and he was very white, but he was very progressive. Yeah. He was an abolitionist. And he also was a suffragist. He was a suffragist, a colonel in the Union Army, and he, he said some Dakota stuff for, both, for women, too. He said... Uh, the man that believes that men are superior to women cannot use himself as an example. It's so cold. It's so cold. It's, uh, I mean, woman, also looking yeah. into our own cultures, too, is, is, is also uh, to be careful not to sort of um, uh, celebrate too much like some sort of perfect. To me, when I look at the world cultures, no one's figured it out. No one has fed every child and protected every woman. So every culture is, is suspect. Um, and so when people try to say, well, I'm from here, I'm from there, the Polynesian culture, for the most part, not a lot of wars, not a lot of slavery. But there's some bullshit leadership. You know, men, men are in charge, bullshit in the, in the South Sea Islands. In my culture, the Hawaiian, there used to be a, a royal group of people that decided that this part of the island for hunting was theirs, and you could get killed if you, if you shot the king's deer or his pig. You could get, you know, there are certain beaches in Hawaii that only the royalty could could uh, surf on. There were certain colors only the royalty could wear. So, believe me, there's a lot of bullshit about Polynesian culture in, in ancient times. Like, there, you know, and that's, but that's the thing is that even Native American people, they used to enslave other Native, they used to steal girls from neighboring tribes. And stuff. So, nobody's immune, and we shouldn't, like, sort of, like pretend that somebody's figured it out. All of the cultures have ugliness exactly. and dirt. And we if we can take the best, the lightest parts, the most brilliant, the most wise parts of all of our culture. That's what I like about the idea of America. You know, I'm I'm an American. I, I could say some more American. I I could say hybrid American or mixed breed American or something American, but I just like American. Like if if we can all get along here and make sure kids get books and make sure women are protected and make sure that boys are not thrown into war, then I don't care what my title is. I don't need I don't care. We could be the sneaky snooks. As far as I'm concerned, I, I don't have nationalism that way. I, 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 want, I want just like a, a place where a bunch of people believe in righteousness and human equality. 
whatever the name, if it's Canada, if it's America, I could give a shit. And maybe black um, pain would be less. Maybe black pain would be less if black people were considered precious as a whole in America. And maybe that might be that, something to help. That, that would help. That would help. And then, you know, it's going to switch <laughs> just just you know, you know, we're going to switch it just a little bit. Help. But we have to, some of us, are, we're going to have to abandon that, quote, unquote, strong black woman or strong black man yeah. image. Yeah, you know, it, it's yeah. it's it's a detriment, and you know, it, it's you know, how can I put it? It's an image that m- the majority of us can't live up to, and it's it's a false dichotomy, and we have to let it go. It's okay to cry. It's okay to cry. It's okay that get your feelings hurt, and I'm not saying it's okay for someone to hurt your feelings, but what I'm saying is it's okay to feel. It really is, and okay. it's okay to admit. It, 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 it's okay to admit that um, what's up against you. And that's one thing too. It's like if you admit that there's something up against you, then um, you know you're weak. You can't make it. You know you're you're bowing out. You're giving up. And that, that's something that that has been um, put into the minds of, of ethnic people in this country, which which we should start trying to remove. Is the idea right. that um, you know, I, if I was strong enough or smart enough, I could get around this racism and these unfair work practices. No, you can't. Admit it. Call these dirty bitches out. Hey, man, you're holding me back. This is what, oh, blah, 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 blah. Uh, you, you don't have the right work ethic. Man, yes, I do. I work under the table. You can just hold me back. And, and it's hard for us to admit that, to say, to call out, to, to raise the yellow flag and to say, wait a minute, unfair, unfair, right, uneven. Y'all aren't even here because we think that crying that out means that we're weak and that we can't handle shit, but... But, but see, but, but it's, you know, that's a double-edged sword because I've been in that situation in which I've called them out, and when, in, in some cases, in my case, and several cases of friends that I have, when we've called them out and called them on the carpet, whereas, you know, we were treated unfairly, then they turn around and try to flip it and say that we have a sense of entitlement. And then beyond that, if you file the proper paperwork, you know, to lodge a complaint, then the next thing you know, you're being drummed out of the department, you're being drummed out of the company, because you may have had A-plus excellent, triple-A-plus excellent reviews in the past. Now, all of a sudden, you're, you know, again, a jaded malcontent that's, you know, a cancer to the department, and now you're negative. And then, you know, because in one situation, I had, you know, my direct manager, after I challenged um, illegal activity, he, I, I challenged some illegal activity regarding, you know, promotion, and, you know, her response to me was, Kim, you have an excellent reputation. I'd hate to see that change. And she did everything in her power to make sure that, you know, I was no longer a part of the company, but I had a nice, nice conversation with her, and I said, well, if I can't work here, neither can you. And guess who doesn't work there anymore? And so, you know, and, you know, <laughs> that's what they do. <laughs> and, and um, you know. Yeah, and, and that's and, why, um, because going through the, the, the military, there's an, there's a, there's an idea that we, we all who have gone through it, we all who have participated in it, talk about 
Hello? We're here. Oh, wow, I don't really? know what happened to him. Oh, okay. Did he disappear? <laughs> Let me look. Yeah, we're here. Am I here? Yes, you are. There you go. Um, but you're not supposed to. Yeah, he's gone again. I think he's in a bad area there. But, yeah. I mean, again, you know, we have to stop, you know, with this, I'm a strong black woman, I'm a strong black man, because, again, it masks, you know, the issues. And it's okay to seek help. It's okay to reach your hand out. And, you know, it's okay to grab somebody's hand. You know, if it hadn't been for different friends and family who have helped me along the way, you know, I would not have been able to help other people along the way. And we're going to have to drop that because, you know, it masks a lot of problems and issues in our community. And when you tie that, you know, with, you know, the religiosity, it's just, you know, it's, you know, this is going to spontaneously combust. And that's what we've been seeing in some people's lives because there was a study out. And basically this study showed that, you know, um, religious people are more depressed than secular people. And, I mean, you have different studies. And, I mean, you can lie with statistics because there are some studies that say religious people are happier than secular people. So, you know, you don't really know what to think anymore. But what I'm saying is, is that we're going to have to break down these stigmas and, you know, learn and accept how to be ourselves and not try to be this so-called image that's been passed down through the generations, which is stemmed and, you know, again, you know, racism and oppression. You know, that's why I say we have to take it back and put it in a proper context so that people will understand how this was passed down from generation to generation because suicide is a major problem in the black community and people don't want to talk about it. Okay. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. in But that's mixed in with religion, right? If, yeah. If they think like if you could maybe if, if, if we don't tell nobody that, they committed suicide, then maybe they'll still get to go to heaven because they think they're going to hell for committing suicide. And it's just mean. It's just mean right. when, you know, you know, when your pain is awful, your pain is awful, you know. And there's all kind of mm-hmm. levels to it. But, but uh, yeah, either, you know, I don't know. That's heavy. Exactly. Exactly. And, you know, it, it gets deep. And, I just think that it's a oh, sorry about that guy. Hold on. There we go. Much better. My apologies there. Okay. <laughs> Realized that was my phone making all that noise. Um no, so you know, we have to get over that. We have to get over that and we're gonna have to overcome um those particular um you know, images that we've painted of ourselves. And it kind of goes back to, like I said, what Mario was saying last week about sometimes we'll paint these different images of ourselves and then try to live up to those images or someone else will paint images of ourselves. And it gets to the point that we try to live up to some of the negative images and stereotypes that are, you know, that are, you know, painted of us. And, you know, they spoke about that a little bit on Melissa's show today. And it's very much so true. And so, 
this is why it's important to have shows like this so that we can educate people. I'm going to go ahead and post, you know, a bunch of links today, you know, and so people can go back and read. We encourage you to go back and read and research and you get a better understanding of this because, you know, we can't, you know, talk about everything in, you know, just a two-hour show. And I believe this is my first show on Black Pain. We're going to revisit this. Um, I'm glad we are because there's, like, a ton of research she hasn't even covered yet. Exactly, you know, and I want to read this book called Black Rage. So for those of you that are out there, you know, that's another book you can pick up if you have, if you can, because a lot of these books I get on Amazon for like ninety nine cents, two three dollars. So you know, I'm, you know, I don't mind buying used books. So you know, Black Pain by Terry Williams is the one that I'm talking about today, and we'll revisit it. As a matter of fact, I may reach out to her and see if she would like to come on the show. Um, but again, she's a believer, so. We'll see how that works out. But, you know, um, I just wanted to give you all some of the facts that, you know, um, are in the book here. You know, it says here, you know, the latest census tells us that 23% of children in America are being raised in a single mother home. For us, that figure is at 50%. Single mother households are with only one breadwinner who is a woman can plunge a family into poverty. Single mothers often have to have more than one job, which means less time with their children, often leads children to the streets, gangs, or lower grades. A third of all black men will go to prison in their lifetime. This is a major reason why fathers are absent and why boys without fathers are at a greater risk of going to jail. Ninety percent of homeless and runaway children are from fatherless homes. Seventy-one percent of pregnant teens are from fatherless homes. Sixty-three percent of teen suicides are from fatherless homes. 71% of high school dropouts are from fatherless homes. 75% of patients in drug abuse centers are from fatherless homes. 70% of teens in state-operated institutions have no father. 85% of youth in prison are from fatherless homes. And so, you know, I just wanted to give you those stats. It's a bunch more, but in addition to talking about our community, we also want to do a show on pain in the transgender community and, you know, about senseless deaths that are taking place. You know, they're being killed, a lot of homelessness in the LGBTQ community. You know, we need to talk about all of these particular issues. But, again, you know, you know, it's a lot of us. Um, we're masking the pain. We're masking the pain, and, you know, through a variety of ways. And... You know, we have to talk about it. We have to confront it. And hopefully, you know, this will help somebody because, um, you know, one of the things that get me, and I posted an article about different things that you shouldn't say to people who experience, you know, mental health issues. And one of the things, one of the issues, one of the reasons is people will tell you to snap out of it. And, you know, in Terry's book here, you know, it gives you five reasons of why you shouldn't snap out of it. And number one, there's no such thing as snapping out of it. Two, it's okay to feel bad. You're entitled to your feelings. Three, there's no such thing as a magic bullet. Healing takes time. Four, therapy and meds take months and sometimes years to work. And five, healing means having compassion for yourself, and having compassion for yourself means being patient. So it takes time. It takes time, and we just ask people out there that need help just to reach out and go get the help. Reach out. It, it, you know, they're cutting these programs to the bare bone. 
and, you know, a lot of the monies that aren't there, you know, there are different programs out there. You know, I'll post the link to free physical and medical, you know, and dental care in this country. But then, again, with the passage of the Affordable Care Bill, you know, that should afford some people the opportunity to be able to establish you know, a normal routine with, you know, regular physicians, but there are a lot of people that have fallen through the cracks. Some do not have enough money to pay for it, and they're not eligible for Medicaid, and there are just a variety of different reasons. So I'll post that link. Now, it may take a couple of months to get an appointment, but at least you'll have an appointment. So, you know, because, I mean, I've been caught out there between a rock and a hard place. Um, At one point when, you know, I was unemployed and didn't have any medical care, and that's when I got sick and basically being told to go home and die. Um, You know, that was very sobering, extremely sobering. And this is probably why I have, you know, a lot of empathy, you know, for people that are in that situation. And I also feel that there should be, you know, some type of, you know, movement for single people. Because if you're a single person with no children, access to Medicare, Medicaid, you know, uh, food stamps, all that, it's almost impossible. Almost impossible. So we have to do something because especially when we pay the most in taxes. So it's unfair on a lot of different levels. So, you know, again, um, we have to start challenging you know, this institutionalized racism. And I believe that's one of the reasons why, you know, there's so much opposition to the Affordable Care Act because, you know, it's known that a lot of the deaths in communities of color, you know, are preventable, you know, especially with certain chronic illnesses, you know, diabetes and high blood pressure, you know, with the right type of, you know, medical advice and the right medications and, you know, encouraging people to eat right and to exercise, you know, a lot of that can be controlled. So, you know, I believe all of that plays a part. Well, we have a call from Anonymous. I'm not sure, but we'll go ahead and put them on the line. Anonymous, are you there? Okay, I guess I left them on hold so long. All right. We'll, we'll put Anonymous back on hold there. But um, holy. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, yeah, the dialing numbers. I mean, if numbers... you can call the show and troll, you know what I mean? you got to be on your toes. You, you're missing your opportunities. Well, yeah, and, and don't be a lazy troll. Have something to say. Oh, hey, what we do on our show is we flip the troll, okay? So right. we'll let them do something. We won't hang up on them. We'll just, we'll just mute, their, mute them, and then we'll just keep talking, and then we'll turn them back on, and then they'll jump into the conversation. We're like, wait a minute. And then we're trying to talk about the topic. We're like, did we just flip a troll? <laughs> did we just flip a troll? <laughs> But I don't really take the time to do that all the time either, though. Um, wow, Kim. I'm, 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 uh, uh, I really think we hit on, on, on something today. I really, I'm going to start saying that on stage because it's the truth. If you're in a situation and you don't feel as though you're considered precious, how can you not be depressed? Right, right. 
Exactly, exactly. How can you not be depressed about it? And, you know, again, it goes back to something that we've spoken on, you know, on the show on several different occasions and different scenarios. It's about taking back your agency, if you will. And But, you know, with some people you have to teach them how. They don't know how. They don't know what it's called. They don't understand the situation. They just don't understand. And that's the reason why it's important to you know, have these shows, and, you know, going back to what I was saying about suicide, you know, suicide is the third leading cause of death for black men between the ages of 10 and 24, okay? Mm-hmm. So, I mean, and, you know, and it doesn't matter if, it's, if the person is, you know, college educated or, you know, college bound or, or you know, uh, a white collar worker, a blue collar worker, you know, or there's somebody that's just, you know, uh, on the street or what have you, you know, you know, suicide is real and depression is real and there's help out there. And I admire, you know, some of the, you know, activism that I've seen here in Chicago, seeing, you know, people of all ages and ethnicities, you know, out there protesting the closure of some of the local um, medical facilities, whether it's for mental health or physical health, you know, they're out there and they're protesting because, Unfortunately, many people in communities of color, they wait until the situation has, you know, reached to a point of, you know, major distress, and then they go to the emergency room, you know, to to deal with a certain issue as opposed to being able to have, you know, normal everyday health care and being able to be proactive as opposed to reactive to the situation. And that's something that's going to have well, to be taught. The other part is, is you can't be proactive. You don't have no insurance. <laughs> you know what I mean? Exactly. And now, of course, exactly. That's you know, there are some people who are going to have it, but there's going to still be a lot of people who are left uncovered. You know what I mean? So yep. it's still going to be a problem. So there still has to be, you know, services that are available to, you know, certain parts of the population for free. You know. Exactly, and that's why I'm going to post that link again for people to be able to get free medical and dental care, you know, around the nation so people can find that link, you know, because there are people that are falling through the cracks, even with the Affordable Care Act. And I just think that's unfortunate, which is why I felt that we should have had the single-payer option from the very beginning, and hopefully it will be added later. Well, the thing about that is we would have never gotten single-payer through, but I'm glad we got anything through. You know what I right. mean in this climate, right. but um, but certainly you're correct. We should have single pair, but um, but yeah, it's it's just unfortunate. I mean, people can't people can't get a you know take advantage of the services, and even when they have the services there, they mistrust the services. And a lot of the people okay? who are providing the services are are people who don't look like you, and they don't necessarily understand the culture that you come from. You know what I mean, or the way that you. Uh, speak or the way that you represent yourself, and some of those people feel profoundly judged when put mm-hmm. in those situations. That's right. Because of the because of the way that they speak and the way that they express themselves, you know. So you know you have to think about that too. So even if we make all of these things free and available, there are still barriers. You know, you still have right. to have psychologists that are, you know who are familiar with the culture and, and, and are practicing culturally competent forms of therapy, you know? Right. 
and which is why, and which is why we don't on this show, you know, entire like bash the church completely, you know, because there are churches that are actually stepping in and providing some of these services, you know, albeit these aren't necessarily trained individuals, you know what I mean? But it's the it's the preferred means of uh, of dealing with a lot of these issues for a lot of black people because. These people at least are in the community. They understand what you're going through, and, you know, they're there, you know? Right. Exactly. 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 And so, again, you know, slowly, slowly, you know, peeling an onion one layer at a time, and it's just important to do that and, you know, to be open to people and to let them know that, you know, we're here. We can direct you to resources, we can encourage you, we can motivate you, we can get you the information, or we can pass you along to someone who can help you. So, you know, just wishing you the very best on that, but there are things that we have to do as well. And so that's why I was talking about that image of being strong and stoic and, you know, remaining silent in the face of adversities and, and and we have to get beyond that. We have to get beyond it. You have to cry out, cry out. It's okay. It's okay. You're human. We're human. I'm sorry. I was just thinking about that song. <laughs> sorry. What song? What I song? Forget, you know, the song is like, if you want to sing out, sing out. And if you want to be free, be free. Sorry. There's a million ways to be, you know, that there are. Sorry. Oh, oh that's too funny. But you have a good day. Okay. So you all got a chance to hear and sing. Um, no, that's you know. not how I really sing, though. Seriously, I sing better no, than no, that. No, no, I heard but it. That's it. That's it. No, I heard I it. That's over. That. Nah, I sing better than that. Yeah, I'm gonna stop before she tells her what I sound like at karaoke. That's a whole no, different I, story. But... You you sounded fine. You just didn't want to do the damn song. That's that was your problem. <laughs> <laughs> Kim knows what I sound like. She knows I don't sound like that when I really sing. Oh no, but anyway. I'm not too... Yeah, she messed with me. But anyway. Oh, man, well, we thank Travis and Tana for calling in. They just dropped off, but we appreciate them calling in, and we appreciate everybody that's called in today. we got another 20 minutes to go. But, um, you know, again, you know, it's a, you know, this is only part one, everyone. And, you know, I just want to address it because we've addressed little parts of this as time has gone on because when I did the three-part series about the politics of the God concept, I talked about, you know, humanness, H-U-M-A-N-N-E-S-S. I talked about the different categories and who places who and what categories. So we talked about being inferior and subhuman and, you know, the, just the different hierarchies and who determines what. And so all of this, you know, is kind of tethered together. And so even though, you know, there are different contexts or what have you, some of, some of this overlaps. You know, kind of like a Venn diagram, but some of this overlaps. So that's why, you know, I remind you guys of, you know, when we talk about certain things. So if you need to go back into the archives and catch it, you can. But, you know, we're human, you know, and, you know, we have to demand that, you know, people treat us as though we're human. And there will always be people who will see us as subhuman. And, 
again, you know, just look at what's happening now, you know, how they're treating, you know, uh, immigrants, in particular, you know, um, the Mexican immigrants. And not everybody who's Mexican is an immigrant, you know, so understand that, you know, as well. But, you know, look at how they're treating them and look at how they're treating us. Look at how they're treating, you know, Muslims, you know, um, you know, one person that I know, they were trying to bring their family from India for their wedding. And they ended up having their wedding with no family there because of the xenophobia in this country, because their Muslim family, they would not allow them, you know, you know, the visas to come to this country. So it's just, it's unfortunate. It's unfortunate. And there are a lot of people that are feeling pain in some respect or the other. So even though I titled the show Black Pain, pain is pain. It does not necessarily have a color, if you will, but I was just, you know, conducting a show from the context of, you know, what we've experienced and what we currently experience and, you know, where some of this manifests from. And I just I don't know, Tim, I disagree with you. I, I agree oh, with you, but then I disagree with you. Pain, okay. pain there, there, is, there are different levels of pain. You know what I mean? Right. And then there, uh-huh. and then there's pain. There's pain that is a, a form of pain that is, it sort of comes from the, your environment and the society in which you live. If you, have, if you live in a society that tells you that you're not good enough, you're not precious, oh, yeah. as Travis said, that is another right. type of pain, and that does have exactly. real repercussions, even for just you know physical pain that has you know that doesn't necessarily you know isn't caused by that society, but it, it certainly right. has something to do with it. I mean, we already know that depression can cause physical symptoms of pain in the body, and we know right. that we know that we know that racial injustice, you know, can lead to actual health problems, can lead to problems yeah. with hypertension, can lead to problems with, you know, um, blood pressure. Even uh, there are some studies that even show uh, or suggest that maybe there's a linkage between um, the onset of, of asthma in certain populations and racism. You know what I Interesting. mean? Interesting. So, yeah, I mean, yeah I, definitely. Yeah, I, I saw something, I read an article about older black women who had, mm-hmm. you know, late stage or, or late, um, they had late onset asthma. So they didn't grow up with asthma. It wasn't something that they'd always dealt with their entire lives. It was something that developed later on in life. But, you know, there's, there are linkages between cardiovascular, you know, um, problems and racism that one experiences or poverty, you know. These, and, and when you're dealing with poverty, racism, sexism, you know what I mean, and all of these other, you know, oppressive systems, you know, those mm-hmm. things can and do have effects a bear. on the body because the mind yeah. is not separate from the brain. The mind and the brain are one, uh, the mind and the body are one, you know. The mind comes exactly. from the brain. The brain is a part of the body. Exactly, exactly, and I agree with you wholeheartedly. I agree, and brain and is a neuroscientist for those of you that may be wondering, but go ahead. So I, I I agree with you and I and I and I just, like I don't I don't say like oh you know because this person's white and they're in pain like oh that's you know that sucks get over it suck oh, it up no when I was you saying when I was like, saying you know but no, I understand perfectly what you're saying but no when yeah. I'm saying that pain is pain I'm just saying everybody experiences pain in some respect you know depression. Mm-hmm you know, is experienced by everyone, um, you know, and that's what I meant by that. But, no, but yeah. that's why I also 
that, you know, black pain in the proper context, you know, yeah. as from, you know, what happened with us and where it came from and, you know, how we can trace it back. So, you know, again, because, you know, we have a lot of allies that listen to the show. So, you know, you know, some of this pertains to them as well. So, you know, just kind of trying to reach out a little bit and let well, them no, know I understand, that. I understand what you're trying to say. I'm just saying I, I still believe that pain, black pain is different <laughs> because, because exactly. like I said, we have evidence that racism yes. leads to physical problems. In black oh, yes. people. We have research on that. So that is mm-hmm. that is black pain. It is it is not a myth. It is not a figment of our exactly. imagination. It is it is something that can be quantified. So Exactly. And you know, I can give, like I said, you know, my own personal, you know, um story behind that with the situation that I told that I spoke about earlier about, you know, when I protested um, you know, three promotions that were given to people who had not necessarily earned them, you know, and it wasn't opened up to everyone else, you know, after that situation and I left that particular job, that is when I got sick. You know, I got sick to the point where I ended up in the hospital and had to have two blood transfusions, you know, and just a host of other things. And, you know, I believe that that triggered that last, you know, major flare that I had, which prompted me to, you know, continue to pursue the doctors until, you know, they finally diagnosed me with a lupus, you know, because, you know, everything started pointing to that, even though, you know, if I go back through my history, you know, I believe it started before then, but it had been in remission for years. And... Yeah, so no, it's very real. And all of that that I had to deal with was due to racism, you know, racism and, you know, I'll just put it this way. And and sexism too, more than likely. I mean, because, I mean, we already know that, you know, for example, like, you know, there are, that women, you know, are not necessarily always prescribed the necessary pain meds because a lot right. of times they're thought, we're, we're thought to be hysterical or they were thought to be not, um, you know, lying or, or exaggerating, you know, exactly. what's happening with us. So. Exactly, exactly. So, you know, it's just a number of things. I mean, I, I tell, you know, about myself and I tell about things that, you know, friends and family have experienced. And these are things that we, you know, for the for the most part, most of us have witnessed and or experienced. And this is why we know that this is very real, which is why, you know, we bring these types of shows. But, yeah, I'm going to name this show Part 1. Um, next week we're going to talk about, again, white supremacy, white privilege, um, that mob mentality, group mentality, and we're going to tie it in with the shutdown and, you know, some of the activities of the Tea Party, and we're going to take this back through history to kind of show some correlation here and to put it in context because, again, you know, all of this, you know, it's history repeating itself. It really is. You know, it's on a much larger scale right now, but we just want to show you, you know, how, you know, um, the mindset of some of these people. So, you know, we're going to be talking about Black Wall Street, about, you know, the, you know, like I said, the incidents in Oklahoma, Florida, North Carolina, and, you know, here in Washington, D.C., 
and just show you all the correlation as to, you know, with some of these lynch mobs and how they come in and, you know, when they feel threatened. So we'll be talking about xenophobia and a number of different issues there. But, you know, it should be interesting. It should be very interesting. So, Raina, tell everyone about the um, People of Color Beyond Faith chat on the 25th, next Friday. Actually, I thought I thought it was Thursday. I'm sorry. I meant Thursday. Okay, I meant Thursday. The 24th? Yeah, I think I said Thursday, but maybe I told you the 25th. I apologize. But um, <laughs> we're going to have a so chat. Pick a day and we'll pick a day. No, we picked today. The day is Thursday. It ain't changing. No, it's, okay. it's Thursday. And <laughs> it's going to be Thursday. Um, I think we're just going to go ahead and do it around 8 o'clock. Um, so hey, what we Joe what? going to tell them. Okay. <laughs> it's going to be on Twitter, and, um, you know, we're going to use the hashtag POC Beyond Chat, and um, we're going to get some information from you guys and talk to you guys a little bit about what the project is, and <laughs> hopefully get some of your opinions about what you'd like to see or hear. Um, you know, and just hopefully we'll have a really good discussion. I'm really looking forward to running it. <laughs> Very good. Okay. I'm sorry. I'm just so sorry. I wasn't. I wasn't. Yeah. So make that Thursday, October 24th. Yes. Thursday, yes. October 24th at 8 o'clock Eastern Standard Time, 7 Central, which makes that 5 o'clock Pacific. Okay. And what is the hashtag? Uh, POC Beyond Chat. Okay. Hashtag is POC Beyond Chat. And we will be, again, opening the conversation up for discussion, taking comments and suggestions and, you know, throwing out some questions. And, you know, we really want, you know, to be interactive. So we're looking forward to that, right? Yes, yes. Um, by the way, I won't be using my Twitter name. I'll be using the, P- the people of color beyond face to run the chat. So just so you guys know, it's me behind there. <laughs> excellent, excellent. And the very next week after that, the next Thursday, we'll be having another POC Beyond Chat session as well. So this is going to be a weekly um, chat session. So, again, use that hashtag POC Beyond Chat. And we look forward to speaking with you guys. And, again, you can find us POC or People of Color Beyond Chat. You can find us on Facebook. You can find us on Twitter, Tumblr. Google Plus, even YouTube, and there is a lot to come. You know, as I stated earlier, we will be having a conference October of 2014 in Los Angeles, California. Start saving your money up now. You're getting one year's notice. Okay. okay. So, so and, there, and there's more. And there's more stuff coming, y'all. It's gonna get good. Yeah. It's, it's gonna, gonna be really good. good. Yes. So. We're excited. We're excited that, you know, you're a part of our lives. We're excited to be a part of yours. But I'm telling you, a year from now, you know, you know, you got to get your United Negro Conference Fund together. Start oh, my goodness. To <laughs> <laughs> Put some money to the side, and uh, we're going to uh-huh. have a good 
Raina will be there. I will be there. You know, um, you know, a bunch of surprises and. Um, you know, more information will be coming, and guys, you're going to love it. You know, um, we're already putting together some of the panels and, you know, the subjects. This is going to be phenomenal. And, again, this is being sponsored by the Black Skeptics Group, which is a 501c3 organization. They're still taking donations for the scholarship program for next year. Um, we've posted pictures and articles about the scholarship program from this year. We gave away five scholarships to five deserving young people and they're in school and they're doing well. We're actually going to do a follow-up show with them um, at the end of the year. Well, not the end of this year, but the end of their school year so they can update us, tell us what their first year of college was like, you know, their experiences. So we're excited about that. We're happy for these young people, and we want to be able to offer, you know, another set of young people scholarships for next year. Is you know, you know, so you know, we have a lot of things coming down the pipe. Um, you know, a couple of educational programs. Just stick with us. But you know, the Black Skeptics Group. You know, again, they're a five hundred one c three organization, and for those that are able to donate, you know. Any amount is welcome. You can do so with the PayPal address of blackskeptics at gmail.com. Again, blackskeptics at gmail.com. You can make your donations. They're tax deductible because we're a 501c3 organization, and we welcome that. We definitely welcome that. And that you can even use that same email address to just email um, the Black Skeptics Group, and you will definitely receive a response. And we appreciate, you know, all of you for supporting us. You know, um, we now have a group in Chicago. So Black Nonbelievers of Chicago has now become Black Skeptics Chicago. We've changed the name. And, you know, we're one of the chapters of Black Skeptics Group, you know, along with the Los Angeles Group. So we're really excited. It's a lot coming forth. I'm excited about the future. And I'm just saying, hang with us. Hang with us. Again, I want to acknowledge Jermaine and Christine for the wonderful work they've been doing out there. For those that need websites built, just let me know. We can get all that, you know, hooked up and work with Jermaine and Christine. Um, I want to give another shout-out to Doc Martin out there in Atlanta, Georgia, with his Compass 120 apparel. Their website is compass120.com. You can get all of your free-thinking apparel. And he created the banner for people of color and beyond, so wanted to acknowledge that and to tell them, all of them, that they're doing a wonderful job and, you know, it's truly, you know, an honor to be working with such wonderful people. And, again, oh, the deadline for the Women of Color Beyond Faith Anthology, that's been pushed back to October 30th. So that gives you 10 days. So, you know, I posted it on Facebook. I put it on Twitter. Um, it's on Reddit and the Minority Atheism um, little room there, the group. And so that information is out there. Those of you that want to submit abstracts, you know, go to the website. You know, she gives you a series of different questions on which you can write. And, you know, it's a variety, you know, of issues there, you know. So go out there, check it out. Check it out. You know, this year is ending well. Next year is going to be absolutely phenomenal. Next year is going to be a banner year. A couple of things coming down the road. I want to tell you so bad I can bust, but I can't. So stick with us. <laughs> it's going to be wonderful. And, again, um, oh, a reminder. 
the Day of Solidarity for Black Nonbelievers. It's the last Sunday in February every year, and this is for all people in the secular atheist community who want to come together in solidarity. It's celebrated every year the very last Sunday in February. So more details about that to come, but I just wanted to put it on your mind and remind you guys, so for you organizers out there, you can go on and start trying to put something together now. So let's see here. This is October, November, December, January, February. That's five months. I don't know how much time you need for one <laughs> So this gives you a chance to you tell to them about what we've got going on in February? In February, Valentine's Day weekend, on Valentine's Day weekend, we will have a weekend of online conferences. It will be a variety of discussion groups, you know, and it will take place that entire weekend. We'll have a variety of different topics, um, different people from the community. So that's going to be our online conference as a precursor to the physical conference in October. So, you know, we're going to have the online conference for those of you who are wondering how these conferences are conducted, what we talk about, and, you know, how to engage with us. And there are some people who will not be able to make it to the October physical conference. So we still, we wanted to bring something to you to let you know how much we appreciate you and we want you to be a part of. Even if you can't make it there physically, we are going to do the virtual, the online conference, so you can still be a part of, you know, the community and experience what we experience at these physical conferences. So this is for you. We're doing all of this for you. We're thinking of you. We're trying to be inclusive because we love you. We love you. If we did, we wouldn't be bringing forth these shows. We wouldn't be putting all of this together. There is so much more to come, so much more. That was one of the surprises. So, you know, now it's out there. And <laughs> now it's out the bag. But it's all yeah, good. Bad, so that's all right. Well, Valentine's Day weekend, I mean, you know, you got to come up for air at some point that weekend. So, you know, you know. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, we'll have all of that available, and all of that will be fed out to the People of Color Beyond Faith YouTube channel. And so, you know, we're building all of that out and making sure everything is available. Stick with us. Stay tuned. There's so much more to come. We're feeling very confident. And, again, this is a collaboration of Black Skeptics Group, the national group, um, Houston Area Black Nonbelievers, which is Donald Wright, and Black Skeptics Group is um, Dr. Sakivu Hutchison, and Black Freethinkers, which is, you know, myself, Raina, Mario, Emily, Carl, um, um, Alfred, yeah, Marcus, you know, and a variety of Vita. other people. Yeah, Vita on blast, Vita star. So, guys, you know, stay tuned, and you know, we're looking to add more shows. So, to the Black Free Thinkers um, Network. So, you know, for those of you out there that you know may want to be a part of the network, get at me. My email address is blackfreethinkers at gmail dot com, blackfreethinkers at gmail dot com, or you can hit me up on inbox on Facebook, but we're looking to add more to the family. Sorry. Oh, be well. And so, you know, we're just looking to, you know, expand. We're looking to expand and to bring more diversity to the program and to expand our knowledge base as well as expand the topics. So, again, we love you. It's an honor and a privilege to be a part of your life. Thank you for having me. And the best is yet to come. Trust and believe that. Trust and believe it on that. Anyway, you all have a lovely weekend. 
I enjoyed you. And on that note, um, Raina, anything, any last words you want to add here? Nope. Nope. All right. All right. All right now. She's going to have fun for both of us. Take care. (laughs) Bye.